Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had, which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at, I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, it's Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? Good, I hope. Doing fantastic over here. It is a beautiful summer day in South Florida, which as you guys know, I've said it, it's either hot or hotter. So we're already in the hotter season. So anyway, guys, today I have a wonderful and so very interesting guest. This is a lady by the name of Joni Mahan. Now, Joni is presently an author of several super interesting books about the paranormal, but she has been dealing with the paranormal world since childhood. And you guys all know that I always ask about that, all my guests. So it's out there. But not only has she had that experience, she's been a sensitive since she was a child of six. Um, so we're going to talk to her and ask her about those experiences. But she's the mom of two grown children, Lauren Trevor. And now um, she lived for many years in Massachusetts. Now she's back in her homestead of Indiana. And she shares her house with five cats and a very loyal dog named Ripley. And you know, you, everybody knows here that I'm an animal lover. And to me, that Ripley, of course, always reminds me of Alien. One of my favorite characters is Ellen Ripley. Um, and of course, she's a paranormal investigator because she also uh, has currently tours uh, where she lives out of, which is New Harmony. As a matter of fact, her most recent book is called Haunted New Harmony. Okay, she's also in 2016, she had Ghost Magnet, also Signs of Spirit When Loved Ones Visit, and in 2015, Ruin of Souls. And before that, she has a lot of other books. But anyway, let's get her on. How are you doing today, Joni? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Good. It is my pleasure to have you. It is wonderful because everybody, all my audience knows that since I've been a paranormal investigator for so many years, um, I always love to have other paranormal investigators, you know, even if they're authors and the ones that are currently still in the field, because like I tell everybody, things have changed so much within, let's say, the last 20 years as far as anybody trying to do any research in the paranormal field. Uh, even though I'm a big believer, you know, I tell them that once upon a time, there wasn't even digital photography. <laughs> you had a camera and, <laughs> and you might have yeah. spent a lot of money just in developing. You know, a lot of people don't realize that not uh, digital is something recent and when it comes to um, investigations. But anyway, Joni, um, is your bio, it says that you had that experience as a young child. What, what happened when you were a kid? 
uh, what was your introduction to the paranormal? Well, I am clairaudient, and I hear tones that are similar to earrings. And with that tone comes the sensation that I'm being watched and that there's something near that I can't see. Okay. And that started as young as five or six. Um, it's hard for me to remember exactly when. It's just kind of always been with me. And my mother would tuck me into my bedroom at night, and I was terrified because I'd hear the tone. I'd feel like something was watching me. And shadows would start moving in my room, and it was, you know, that was kind of my introduction with fear, because I didn't know what it was, and it it came with a scary sensation, too. So it wasn't just me reading into scary ghosts, because a lot of people watch paranormal shows and movies and things, and they think all ghosts are scary, which I don't believe that to be a fact now, but back then, the ones that were coming to me were definitely scary. So in other words, you were, that tone after a while, that was your first sign of that something was going to manifest. That was your first clue. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's it's almost as though I can hear the sounds ghosts make when they're nearby. Wow. And for me, it's a tone. And um, I always tell people, tell me, well, my ears ring all the time and it's not a ghost. And I say, well... The way you can tell if it's just normal tinnitus or if you have a sixth sense and you're hearing them is to turn your head. If the sound gets louder or softer, then you're probably picking up a ghost. Wow. If it's constant and steady, it's probably just tinnitus because tinnitus doesn't. (laughs) Right, exactly. And yeah, and and I know there's some people that suffer from tinnitus. It's continuous in some cases where... Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's some, it's a real difficult thing because, it's, you know, there's a lot of treatments out there, but not all of them work. Um, right. So, and then you, ha- let me ask you, were you, was, what you were experiencing, was this something that was part of where you lived or were you just getting visitors coming in because you were sensitive as a child? You know, it's so hard to say because. I wasn't able to tune in. Now I can tune in. The sound Mm -hmm. is like a gateway for me. And once I hear it, if I care to, I can get more information. And I'm now more clairvoyant, so I can pull up man pictures and information. But back then I couldn't. So it's hard to say. I am a ghost magnet, which Ah. you've talked about that title. And I do. I bring things home constantly. I had to drive some friends to the airport today and something popped into my car with me and came home with me today so I have another new ghost oh and they're still there or who somebody okay and that and that's why I guess you know uh because some some people don't realize but sometimes people think that ghosts or spirits are tied to haunted houses like as in that place and there's a lot of entities or discarnates that are not tied to locations and uh, when they send somebody yeah. like yourself, they're like, oh, my God, I, I want to talk to her. She can hear me or possibly see me or whatever it right. is. Yeah, definitely. And, and it happens more. Sometimes I don't even have to leave the house. Mm-hmm. They just uh, find me. They just drift along until I feel like sensitives look different than regular people. Like we glow or something and they they see us and we're like lighthouses and they gravitate towards us yes. so you don't even have to leave your house sometimes to pick up an attachment right right because i guess like uh 
Yeah, like you said, there's something that, that gives them a clue. Um, and so you had this experience, and as you went through childhood, what happened? You you became less afraid. You, you learned to understand it. How, what happened with you as you were growing up being a sensitive? Well, the next thing that happened was my father built a beautiful A-frame house, and we moved and something was on the land already when we built the house, oh. and there was something pretty ancient there, okay. and it pretty much tormented me. I I saw it when I was I believe seven or about seven years old, probably. Mm-hmm. I was having a nightmare, and I was having a lot of nightmares during that period. As soon as we moved into that house, I started having night terrors. People couldn't wake me up, and I would be running and screaming through the house, and. I was having really horrific, bloody nightmares and nightmares where people were going to steal my family. And during, after one of these, I woke up in a cold sweat and there was something in my doorway and it was kind of white and misty and it drifted closer and closer and closer to my bed until it got right to my bed. And then I screamed, I screamed for my mother and um, then it went away, but through the rest of my childhood, after we moved out of that house, my parents got a divorce shortly after that, and we moved. And I think, again, I don't remember a whole lot of experiences after that when we moved. Okay. Um, you but, think- you, know, it, it, you know, it was always there to some extent. But I think, you know, a lot of times children grow out of it. And I think I kind of almost grew out of it, but then I... I moved into a haunted house when I was in my late 20s, and it was a very haunted house, and it picked right back up. And and then I knew, without a shadow of a doubt, there was a ghost I was dealing with. So it just happened all over again. Let me ask you, do you think that that experience you had, do you think that was an elemental spirit that you ran across as far as something that was tied to the land, or was it Uh, human at one point? I don't think so, no. Not elemental, because... I ended up, my dad still owns that house, and mm-hmm. I ended up moving back in with him when I was 17. I got in a fight with my mother, and I'm going to go live with my yeah, father, okay. and I moved back in, and the ghost was still there. And the ghost, I always say, uh, it. young adults have that spiky adrenaline energy, mm-hmm. and it, if there's something already in the house, it really feeds it. And, yes. and allows it to become supercharged, and that's kind of what happened. This thing was opening and closing doors and just hovering around me. I was afraid of going up the stairs, a set of really dark stairs in the middle of the house, and I could just feel it standing at the top of the stairs, and I never wanted to go up there. Okay. And it caused, you know, it caused some grief for me as a teenager. Okay, no, yeah, I know that. Yeah, with teenagers, they're putting out all that PK energy, so... Yeah, they. I, I. It's not the first time I've heard that a lot of entities, uh, they use they use that to manifest or to do things that maybe you know. And and by this, I'm not saying poltergeist. I'm just saying that they use yeah. the teenage as a battery. So here you go. You're in your 20s and you move into a very haunted house. And what happened there? Did you? I mean, was it, were they friendly spirits? Were they low key or were you like, oh, here we go again. What am I doing here? Well, not so friendly, former homeowner. Oh. And we run into a lot of those and, you know, during investigations, the mm-hmm. homeowner decided to stay with the home and we were, I could feel him 
but nothing really happened until we tore out the workbench in the basement. And my guess is that was probably his workbench. We were going to put a family room in there. The minute that workbench went out, we started having just a pretty, I'm not going to say extreme because nobody was hurt, but it was pretty terrifying. Okay. And it really opened my eyes. I wrote a book about it. It's called Devil's Toy Box. So I talk about it in that book. But it was very eye-opening for me. And it changed me on a lot of levels. And it probably started putting the first cracks in my marriage because it would single me out and only do things when I was around but would never do anything when my husband was around. So he didn't believe me. And it took a long time, probably years. We were there for a long took years before he finally did something that my husband heard and and couldn't explain. And, And then he started believing me. So it took a while. Yeah, but and, that resentment builds up because you're dealing with something pretty scary. Yes, and your partner doesn't believe you. Yes, you know it's a lonely feeling. It is. It's a lonely feeling. Um, yeah, I uh, I interviewed this gentleman by the name of Ed Becker, and he um, he had an experience back in the 1970s. As a matter of fact, it was one of those exorcisms. I've read his book. Yeah, I've read his book. And he would, told me, he goes, he admitted, he says, my wife, she was a housewife, she had a baby, she was staying home, and she was the one getting the brunt of it, you know? So he says, for the longest mm-hmm. time, I isolated her because I wouldn't believe her. And it kind mm-hmm. of, exactly, it affected our relationship, you know, our marriage, because she would be home all day, going through everything, and I would come home, I, you know, and I'm like the typical man, uh, it's all your imagination, and he says that really when he really, really got the full is that she spent a month, I think, visiting her mom. Uh-huh. And he ha- he was there by himself. In other words, you know, he says that the that's... had nobody else to pick on. <laughs> right. And he says that that's yeah. when he really got the... F- he couldn't write it off as imagination, you know, whatever, whatever. And he says that, that, that from there, that's when, you know, the experience started going as far as him getting involved because you know and like a lot of men they get mad you know they want to be confrontational because they're thinking they're doing battle with you know an intruder an intruder and and he he even told me go i made i made things worse i realize now i made things worse but yeah Yeah. that isolation as in uh not being believed and like you said that uh that you were the one that was and and the thing is this that that you almost think like, don't you think that I go through my own and when I start experiencing things that I go through my own checklist of what it could possibly be before I get to the conclusion that it's supernatural? Well, I do on normal things, but with the with the tones and the sensation, I don't because there's nothing else that makes that sound. It's very, it's very isolated and it comes with the sensation. So I trust my gut, but. You know, people send me pictures all the time saying, is there a ghost in this window? And I, my conclusion is usually trying to find a reason for it versus just jumping to paranormal. Right. I, I like, to, you know, I, I like to exhaust every possible rational explanation before I call it paranormal. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, and the thing is this, that, yeah, because lately, you know, you have all these reality shows and it's become more mainstream, for lack of a better word, as far as being haunted but before you know when it wasn't people were they were cautious about wanting to accept 
that they were experiencing something that was ghostly or supernatural or anything is like people didn't jump like nowadays it's the other way around sometimes people attribute it to the supernatural when it's anything but but um, i definitely agree i don't know there's a lot of i don't really i belong to a lot of those paranormal communities i'm simply because i've been added to them without being you know my permission but i sometimes i'll go on and i'll look and if there's just so many people there's so many battles too. People will post a picture and everybody says, Oh my gosh, there's a woman in the corner. And <laughs> I look at it, I don't see a thing. And other people will say, You know, oh, you're just imagining things. So it's, you know, it's really hard to present anything as paranormal because there's, it's hard to prove it. Oh, very hard. Well, nowadays, and personally, it, it's like to me, it's like the picture. First of all, like exactly like what you said, some pictures you look at them and it, I'm thinking to myself, God, that could be a curtain. That could be a, it could be something mm-hmm. else. That doesn't mean it's not that, but, but you know what, right. once you have that doubt that that's a, that fuzzy, I'd be like, okay, you know what? I'm sorry, but as far as I'm concerned, this doesn't constitute proof. Right. Yeah. It, uh, it's hard in, in the digital age where it's so easy to fake pictures. Oh, yeah. Yes. Even if it does look legitimate, you can't trust it because people are so quick to put out the fakes and other people are so excited to see it, they'll share it. So you really have a hard time determining whether it's a true paranormal picture or it's something explainable or it's a fake. So I really don't take that many pictures. I do find a few when I'm doing my home mm-hmm. to do harmony walking tour. Sometimes people will catch something in the window. Right. And it's just too cool not to look at and say, that looks exactly like a face in the window. I don't know if it is or it isn't, but I'm, you know, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to show it to people and say, what do you think? Well, but you know, and this is the thing. You could take a picture or you could have an experience that cements your own beliefs or that you, let's say, when you look at that picture, you go, wow, I know that this. But there's a difference between that and presenting it as proof for others to believe it. You know, and sometimes the only right. one you really want to prove it to anyway is yourself when it comes right down to it. Because if once you've had that experience, you know that the spirit world or whatever you want to call it is there just because we don't see it casually all the time. Uh, so it depends on. And of course, if like you said, if you're going after the sensationalism, then then, of course, that's when you get into doctoring photos and right. EVPs and you name it. And uh Nowadays, you could do that so easily. Um, so what happened when when your husband did, did your husband ever admit I was wrong? What happened? Did you guys move out? How did you handle that with that homeowner that was, I could tell it's a man thing, a man cave thing where you took out his workbench. What happened? How did you resolve right. that? Well, the way he finally, he was sitting in the basement family room that we had made watching tv and he heard me i normally would come home we parked uh next to the basement door so we would always come in through the basement door and it had been snowing and he heard the kitchen door upstairs open and it was not a door we normally use okay uh, because it was difficult to even get to and if it was snowing it made no sense but he heard me heard that door open and close heard footsteps on the ceiling above his head and then he heard the toilet flush and he thought, oh, Joni's home for some reason. She came in through the kitchen door. And then 10 minutes later, I came in through the basement door. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, did you come home and walk around in the kitchen? And I said, no. You know, why would I do that? 
And so we went running upstairs thinking maybe somebody had broken into the house. Right. And the kitchen door was locked. There was snow on the back step that was completely undisturbed. No wet footprints on the floor. No, nobody in the house. And he, he kind of looked at me and he said, I can't believe that just happened. And then after that, things started happening. He started experiencing some of the things that I was experiencing. So things started happening to him as well. And we, I wanted to move and he wanted to move. We put the house up for sale, but the ghost did not want us to move. So every person that came in the house wrinkled their nose, even though it was a beautiful house. There's nothing wrong with it. It was in every sale that we offer we got fell through for some reason so it was we had a difficult time trying to sell it but we did eventually sell it and, and move which uh, you know we left it there and i did get in contact with the next people that lived there uh-huh and they didn't have quite as few experiences the only thing that they remembered was they were only there for a few years they said the kitchen sink would often just come on by itself which Honestly, I wouldn't even call that paranormal if it wasn't in that house because something could be wrong with the plumbing and cause sure. the, the sink to come on. But that was the only thing. But if they didn't have a sensitive in the house, he probably wouldn't have bothered because a lot of what he did was mental torment with me because he would hover, hover okay. just really close to me. And I could feel him and hear him and all but see him. I knew he was right there and he would certainly creep me out okay. and terrify me at that point but it was kind of a launching board for me because after that experience and after we moved out of that house I was really curious about what happened to me after I was you know was in the in a safe zone where I wasn't experiencing a haunting mm-hmm. I became curious about it and that's few years after that is when I started investigating for the first time and really trying to work on my abilities to 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 be able to pull more information than just you know the fear and the sound I wanted to learn more about what was haunting me okay so yeah no I can understand it makes a difference when you're dealing on it with something like that on a daily basis exactly like what you're describing that hovering or that continuous uh observation kind of feeling that's got to be horrible um and what happens it it's like that's like you know if you left your door open and someone just walked in and made themselves at home and they would stand beside you all the time and follow you everywhere you went. They'd stand and watch you shower. They'd stand and watch you, watch you sleep. And he he would poke at me. Sometimes I'd feel physical things. It it was just, uh, it was just, I'm surprised I'm not crazy after that experience because I was on edge 24 seven. I believe it. There was never a safe time. Let me ask you, did he ever follow you outside of the house, or was it only when you were at home? No. No, he stayed there. Okay. He never followed me. And was he the owner? Like, in other words, he was the guy, the owner right before you guys, or had other people moved in there between him and, and you guys moving in? Well, there were people that moved in between us. There was another family that was there for, I did, of course, a lot of research and found out that a man did indeed die in the house. He had a heart attack. I mean, not that a house, someone has to die in the house right. to haunt it, but he did die in the house. And then his wife stayed there for a while, but she, she really kind of went crazy. People, neighbors talked about her flinging food against the wall and screaming out the door. And she ended up, ended up in a nursing home a lot younger than she should have. Wow. Something just happened to her. 
And then the next people that moved in, it was a family, but the da- the daughter and the wife moved not long after they moved in, and they moved to, like, Arizona or something. And the man stayed there for a good number of years okay, all by himself and was having a hard time selling the house and needed a lot of work at that point. And we were a brand-new married couple. I was pregnant with my first child, and we were looking for something inexpensive because Massachusetts is pretty uh, pretty expensive place to buy a house, and okay. it was right up our alley, unfortunately. Right, yeah, and exactly like, yeah, you just, the last thing you were thinking of is, yeah, I'm going to buy a nice, pretty house that's haunted. Uh, and for all you know, maybe also, once that guy was there by himself, he didn't give him as much grief because, like, almost like the way he spared your husband and it was all you. Is yeah, that he was a bit of a bully. He was a little bit of a bully. I yeah. don't think he liked women that much. Yeah, I was and about to say he, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then afterwards, now, and I know, like you said, you wrote that book, Ghost Magnet, which is um, that they come to you. And, and what has been your experience with that, Joni? Is it, is it that they just want you to acknowledge them, that they have a message or... Uh, is it when you go to certain locations that are hotbeds? What's been your experience with that? Well, it, it's really, once I started investigating, I started opening myself up and I started getting better. And they started coming to me. And it's, as you know, it's in death as in life. If they are good in life, they are mm-hmm. usually good ghosts. If yes. they were nasty in life, they're nasty ghosts. And yes. I was getting a lot of really dark, scary ones and a lot of it had to do with how my life was going at the time I was I was not as I'm a very positive upbeat person Mm -hmm. but I went through a period of life where I was I was newly divorced I was going through all kinds of issues and I my vibration was pretty low I was depressed a lot and so I was very visible to the lower vibrational ghosts and they were following me home Okay. So over the years, I learned about vibration. I learned how to really flip that switch and start looking on the bright side of things and trying to see things a little differently and raise my vibration back up. And then I started bringing home more people that needed help and not the dark ones. I almost It's like I'm almost invisible to them. But okay. every once in a while, I get one. But it's just been a mixed bag. Right. And that's the thing that people, you know, I tell them, you know, and because, you know, nowadays every, you know, in the TV land, every dark haunting is a the D word, the demon. And, yeah, you know, I yeah. pointed out, you know, exactly like what you just said. If you have a person that in life was a jerk or an SOB or whatever, a really unpleasant character, they're still like that you know if they're hanging around and that's sometimes where you get that really bad feeling just the same as when you come across some living human person that you're like man there's something about you i don't like get me out of here you get the feeling it's not because it's non-human it's just because this person was a nasty piece of work once upon a time and they still are and uh definitely i i i agree it's and and some of them just some of them are energy thieves so like energy vampires and mm-hmm. they pull energy from the living to be able to do what they try to do. And even sometimes the the good ones do that. And you have to tell them, knock it off. And, uh, you know, you feel drained days on end until you just can't get up off the couch. And right. I, 
Yeah, it's a time to, to finally get them off of you and get them removed. Yes. And yeah, because see, the, and it's understandable. They, they, it's what they, what they want most for whatever reason is what they don't have, which is a human body for whatever reason, whether it's to communicate or because they want to know what it's like to have a drink, you know, they, and yeah, they, they kind of, it's draining even when that that's not their intention. Um, right. And, um, when you go through, have you ever had any, um, let's say, have, do you do any channeling? Or are you just strictly psychic as in a sensitive or do you have any type of uh, medium abilities where you channel? I, well, I, I was getting ready to tell you that I don't channel okay. because I don't do it on purpose. But as a writer, I can tell you that a lot of artists and writers are yes. channelers and whether they realize. Yes where I've been writing and words have come to me that I don't even know the meaning of. And I'll type them out. I'm like, okay, it sounds good. I just kind of <laughs> go with the flow. And I'll look it up later and I'll think that was the perfect word. And there's no way I came up with that on my own. Okay. So I get exactly. help. Right. So, and I see what you're saying as far as, and, and yes, I have heard of that, you know, and some, once upon a time they would call it the artist muse, you know, that, Right, right. And uh, yeah, that a lot of people, depending whatever it, your creative thing was, whether it was writing or music, painting, and there's a, there, I've heard of that, that there's a lot of authors that they say they produce certain works, um, sometimes like exactly like what you're describing, equivalent when you, when you, when you read what they're describing, it's equivalent to somebody that's channeling. Sometimes they do it in a really short period of time with an extra burst of energy, or like you said, they come up with ideas. They're like, man, almost like they're observing while they're doing it. Like, whatever this is, this is great. Let me just not stop. And then they produce this Well, it's this kind work. of funny. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, locally here in town, New Harmony is a very eclectic kind of town, and they have a lot of writers' conferences and festivals and different things. And this last week they had a two writers conferences in town and a big group of them stayed at a bed and breakfast that I knew to be haunted, but I <laughs> don't, it's not on my ghost walk because I don't promote places, haunt, places where people are going to sleep during my ghost walk. Cause I want people to come and stay. Not everybody's going to want to stay at a haunted B and B, but not a lot of people over the years have had experiences. There are not too many here and there, but when this writers conference came to town Four of them had experiences, oh. and someone knew they they directed them in my direction, and I went down and talked to them, and they they probably they kind of brought my point to light because all of these people are people like me that write, but they're not people like me in the fact that they've never had really too many ghost experiences, but put them in a haunted D and B. And I think that the ghosts went, oh, hey, you know, yes. you're you're open to messages, and they all had experiences. It's kind of crazy. Yes, exactly. That they, that they're there's something about them that they they have that little extra antenna up, and right that the like you said the the the, the entities there said, oh, look, <laughs> and, yeah. and and you know what? And people don't realize it's surprising. That's why you have. Some locations, some houses, for example, which supposedly are haunted, you have one set of a family that's ready to like, you know, 
they're, 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 within a week, they're ready to tear out of there. And then you have another family go in there or another person and they're like, they're good. They're fine. And they're like, yeah, no, they nothing's don't have happened. Yeah. And then, and then they start to dis. everybody starts to disbelieve the first people because nothing right. happened to the second people. And that happens a lot. And it's happened a lot here in town. As I was researching for Haunted New Harmony, there were some locations where they were just so insanely haunted, like things were flying across the room, crashing, and people were seeing things and hearing things. And then they moved out, and the next people moved in. They haven't had a thing happen to them. Oh, yeah. So it's very, it's very subjective. Yes. It's selective. It, like they pick who they're going to mess with. Right. Or, or the new family, they get a very low-level very infrequent thing where you you know stuff that you go ah, it's the wind oh it's something you know bird in the attic you know really yeah. low level stuff that you could just ah, forget it and yeah, um definitely well one of the you know you know the amityville you know house the one in amityville the one where you know the murder took place and then the, you know that whole lutz thing and you know there was a family that moved in afterwards that lived there for many years and supposedly they always claimed that nothing happened and I, I want to say maybe – I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think there's a reason for that because I think Lorraine Warren and Ed Warren came in and cleared that house after the Lutz, or after the Lutz family moved out, or is, whichever ones that were in the, the book. After they moved out, the Warrens came in. I actually met Lorraine Warren and heard her accounts of Amityville Horror, and it was pretty interesting. But right. So I think when the second people came in, she had already cleared the house, so there really wasn't anything there anymore. Exactly. And, I mean, and of course, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, whether it's because of there was something there before, whether it's residual, because let's face it, you had a whole family that was murdered, you know. Right. Um uh, whatever the case might be but yeah they were even though the house did sell i want to say less than two years ago and it did sell a little bit lower in price than it normally would because that's a very nice house but uh yeah i most probably you're absolutely right that uh when somebody goes in there and works on it and uh from what i understand that was the thing also when the lutzes moved in this was right right after the the murders and of course, my my question has always been because whenever they they do any history on that house, it everything always starts with when the DeFeos moved in there. But I I've never heard anything prior of the history of that house. If there was somebody or something already there that also just aggravated, you know, what was going on with that family, and then of course it went the way it went. The I know. I the, yeah, that definitely that could definitely. I, there was already something there when they moved in i think it's pretty clear by the way it reacted you know the book can be considered true i mean there's been a lot of reports over the years that it wasn't true and was true according to light lorraine warren it was the scariest place she'd ever been to and it was the one place in the world she would never go back to let me tell you something the one that does it for me i think of all the material that i've ever seen connected to that is that photograph that have of that little boy by the stairs you know, mm-hmm. when the, that's the one that I look at that and I'm like, God, that's, that's pretty hard. That's, and yeah. this was in the times mm-hmm. prior to technology, as far as uh, doctoring photographs and things like that. That's the one picture that I'm like, wow, that, that's, that's pretty difficult to overlook. But uh, 
yeah, there's there's places that uh, for some reason they amp up in response to who's living there. You know, whether it's exactly whether it's because you've got a sensitive or in this case, let's say what happened to the DeFales, you've got a lot of energy. Maybe there's a dysfunction going on in the family and a lot of emotion and it supercharges. And then, you know, you've got an entity that feeds off of that. So let me ask you, Joni, in, in this, uh, this tour have that, have you ever had, and I know you have them, uh, you know, like you said, follow you back. Have you ever had any of your usual spirits ever come and appear to you at home or communicate with you at home just because out of familiarity, because let's say they see you doing that tour and there's something like, Hey, I know her. I really haven't. It's kind of interesting in this town. The ghosts are very much attached to the buildings that they're in. Okay. It's unlike anywhere else I've ever, it's very condensed haunting. Almost every building in town has a ghost or two and they pretty much stay there. I've not had them follow me. That doesn't mean I haven't had other ones follow me, but I have never had anything from any of my ghost walks or investigations come home with me, which is a real positive thing because it allows me it allows me to continue. If I were constantly having issues, then I wouldn't be doing the ghost walks. And I think they do enjoy the fact that in some cases I'm telling a story that has been almost lost in history, and I was able to dig it up and find out what was going on with them. And they like hearing their story, so they don't mess with me. Okay. And how about any unpleasant, I mean, I know you, you described where you had that experience when you were living there, and fortunately you were able to sell the house and move away. Uh, but let's say in this case where you're, you're talking about this garnet that is not bound to a location, have you ever had any non-human or really, really nasty entity uh, follow you or attach to you or one of those things? Yes, I have. Uh, and I wrote about it in my book, The Soul Collector. Okay. That was my first, that was my first paranormal book. And it took me two years to work up the nerve to finally write about it because wow. when it was removed, I was warned not to think about it, not to talk about it, and certainly never write about it. But after going through something like that, it was almost like, living through a near-death experience and not being able to talk about it. And okay. I thought, I need to tell people about this because there might be some message in there where I can help other people. My sure. warning was ghost hunting is very dangerous. And I did a lot of wrong things. It was when I first started ghost hunting, and I brought home something non-human. And I didn't have a resource, any way to get this off of me. Okay. And in some cases, you can't just say go away and they go away mm-hmm. in my you know in this situation it was stuck to me and it was making my life a living hell and it took me months to be able to find a way to finally get rid of this and what was what what was your first sign at, let's say you, you said that you did an investigation and you came back and then what was your first sign that you were like oh was it dreams was it you know light nightmares is what I mean or was it stuff that you started witnessing or what, how, what was your first sign that somebody I, had followed you? Well, through the Claire audience, I knew it was in the car with me when I left the site. Really? And I could hear it, and I could feel it, and I pulled over to the side of the road, and I staged my car, I staged myself. I told it to go away, not to follow me, and nothing happened. I, it stayed with me. It was like 
it didn't phase it at all. So I came home and it followed me all the way out of the car into the house and it was there just looming over me constantly. You know what, I, I, when you say that thing about saging, because I tell everybody, you know, ever, because I've been doing investigations since the 90s, and I would say, you know what, sometimes I wouldn't do it in front of the client's house, but I'd go around the corner or whatever, and I would stage my car down. I'd open up the trunk, and I had, because sometimes I worked with other teams, you know, we cooperated, and, and they'd be like, Marlene, I'm like, I don't care. You know, <laughs> I'm not taking any chances. Um uh, of having any hitchhiker come home with me, even if they're nice, I don't care. I don't want that. I don't want right. that um, because just on the off chance that you get something that is dark, that is malevolent, and then it's just and like you said, sometimes even you you know your best efforts. And how how did you finally resolve it? Did you get somebody to help you out? I did. I don't want to talk about it too much because okay. I tend to give too much away on radio shows and podcasts and okay. then people don't read my book. But it took, it was quite an effort. And I can say that I probably came pretty close to being fully possessed by the time we got rid of it. I was losing myself very rapidly and it didn't happen uh, a minute too soon. And how long, what, what what length of time were we talking, less than a year, months, or how long was it before? Months. You, months, okay. Several months. Okay. Okay, and I take it then, like, everything, it, it wasn't anchored, just, it was, like, with you all the time, it sounds like what you're describing that. In well, words, it was, it was, a, it was a soul collector. Ooh. It was collecting, it was collecting souls to gain more power, and it, wanted to collect me as well so it was trying to drive me to an early death in any means possible and thankfully it did not because i'm still here to talk about it now Joni, let me and this is a cautionary tale because some i i everybody knows i get on my soapbox sometimes when i you know when i talk about people that that jump into paranormal investigations Mm -hmm. when you went on that investigation did you have any idea that there was something like that there or for you was it just if anything it was going to be regular dead people or did you have any idea right well we had been it was um a haunted, well, it was a pr- an old prison camp that was nothing but ruins left. Okay. And it was in the middle of the state park. And we had been exploring that area all summer long, going out and trying to find the ruins. We had a map, and we were trying to figure out what all the buildings were. And okay. we did some investigating there all summer. Never really felt anything negative. But I went ghost hunting when I was in a state of depression so i had had something really bad happen to me and one of my friends was trying to cheer me up and said hey you want to go on a ghost hunt tonight let's go out to the prison camp and i went and my vibration was very low and he was able to attach to me yes so i always tell people if you're tired if if you're sad don't go ghost hunting yes. only go when you're feeling at your best because your vibration is going to really impact whether you bring something home or whether you don't yes yes and you know what i'm, I'm you know why I'm, I'm laughing because every once in a while like i said i get on my soapbox and i tell people i say you know what um when you exactly like what you described i said and and not even that i said if you're exhausted let's say you're having a really hectic time if you're coming down with a cold i said 
I would pass up going to an investigation mm -hmm. just on the off chance that you come across something in that location which is like this. Because believe me, they will always pick on the most vulnerable or the weakest link in the team. Okay, so I say, you know, Definitely. you learn. It doesn't even have to be that extreme. Hey, I'm super exhausted because, you know, I've just had so many things to do or I think I'm coming down with a cold and I just don't feel, you know what? I, t I tell everybody, I said, pass on it, pass on it, pass on it. Because chances are, yeah, you could go and uh, maybe there's no haunting or maybe it's a regular dead. But I said, because it will target and as a way, especially if it's dark and malevolent, to try to disrupt even the investigation or investigators from returning, um, and it'll okay. zero in on the on that person that they think. And if that person's sensitive, yeah, it could. And 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 I've heard uh, several stories throughout the years from different groups, uh, where basically it sometimes it's. Uh, affected people profoundly and in some cases totally disintegrated the team they right they did never regroup things happen and before you know it the the group is dissolved through different issues but yes i uh and i i and again i'm gonna blame tv land on that where um sometimes they make it look very adventurous and interesting you know like when you go to the movies and you see a scary movie and it's like oh and you have a fright but then the lights come on and everybody goes home and that was the end of that and i said this is the version where even if the lights are on you go home it's not over and i said and despite what you think that 72 hours later you've got flying furniture sometimes this is very uh gradual how it starts affecting you depending on you know what's going on with your life and then what you described where all of a sudden i imagine there comes that moment when you're like okay how do how do i get help how do i get out of this because if not um and and you know what joni i'm i'm glad you got help and i'm sure you do too but you know what there's a lot of people that sometimes this happens to them and they really don't understand why or how it happened to them they don't. Well, there's a lot of people walking around with attachments oh. that don't realize it, too. Yes. They, everything in their lives is going to crap, and yes. they're sick all the time. They have, they're drained of energy, or sometimes their personalities start changing mm -hmm. because the, whatever's attached to them starts changing them. Yes. So I always tell people that if you're a sensitive especially, but if you start investigating, I always have a good backup plan. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do in the worst-case scenario? Yes. And I didn't have that backup plan when I was dealing with Soul Collector. I now have a really good resource. I have a man named Michael Robichaud. He's a shaman out of Virginia. And he has he's like a modern-day superhero. I, I wrote a book about him called Ruinous Souls. He can send his spirit guides in. He has like a army of warrior spirit guides okay. that will come in and remove ghosts from the location. Okay. And he he keeps me protected. He's removed a lot of uh, really nasty ones um, from from my house. No, and he's helped a lot of other people too. And you know what? For I don't do it now because I don't have time. But for many years, I was a hypnotherapist, and one and, and I worked in alternative areas of hypnosis. And one of them was dealing with attachments, and. Um, 
I know exactly. I've run across attachments from dead people and I have run across attachments of non-human and uh, and I've even encountered where people have had both and I say it's they'll they'll as a matter of fact those non-human ones will push the human ones forward for whatever reason so it could be a variety of reasons why this person got the attachment and they stay in the background like hey nothing you've done your work and they, they, they in other words there is a there's a manipulation there hoping that they'll be overlooked as far as removal so yeah I've 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 had experiences firsthand with what you're talking about and it could be quite intense people have no idea it's going to be very intense and um and for people that just never understand that that is the source of what's going on with them whatever it might be some people like you said they're their life has gone to crap. Sometimes it's addiction, addiction that they can't overcome. It could be, you know, anger issues. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say that's the overall solution to everything, but a lot of times that aggravates a lot of things going on in people's lives. So uh, you said that that book that you wrote about that gentleman is the one ruin of souls. Is that the one that, that about uh, that person Ru- that helped you out? Yeah. Ruin, ruin, ruin of souls. It's the last line in the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. And I I did that on purpose because we used it, that prayer a lot okay. when we're cleansing houses and when we're doing protection. So it's kind of an important prayer for me. Sure, sure. So, and, and I'm going to, I'm because I'm, this is my other thing. Whenever you've, and I know you do tours, and it sounds like you have these regular houses. Joni, have you ever been asked to go on an investigation that for some reason, you, and like I tell everybody, you know, if you've been doing investigations for a while, sometimes things start happening even before you get there. Because... Oh, constantly. You know, constantly. On, have you ever had the, the feeling like, I just better not go, and do you pay attention to it? Or how do you handle when you get that gut, like... I listen to my gut because okay. I think my gut is I think my gut is my spirit guides and probably some of my deceased relatives trying to give me a message that I need to stay away and I do listen to that. Ah. I did uh, I did just recently investigate Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. I just did that last Thursday, a week ago tonight, in fact. Mm-hmm. And I was warned by two of my mentors, including Michael Robichaud, that it was not going to be, that I needed to not go, that it, there was some really dark stuff there. But I did not listen that time because there's a part of me also that feel that my life is so compromised by the paranormal that I often don't do the things that I consider fun because I'm yeah, I'm afraid something bad's going to happen. And I said, well, I'm still doing Waverly Hills. It was something that I really wanted to do. And mm-hmm. Michael kept me protected, so I didn't bring anything home. Okay. But there is a lot of, I probably shouldn't have. If I didn't have Michael, I probably wouldn't have gone. But Michael did keep me protected. Okay. And, and I, and, and the the thing is, um, one of the things uh, I'm sure with I haven't I, I every time I've tried to go to Waverly Hills I I just my timing is all wrong <laughs> it just doesn't ever work out. Um, but even without going, I'm sure that there is intelligent hauntings there. That goes without saying. But I don't know if it's why it is that 
you know, locations like this, asylum, sanatoriums, prisons, uh, just about any place that's housed people with different problems, you always have those very dark non-human spirits, whether they were attached to the people that were there or they were just um, attracted because it's a, a place where there's a lot of human agony. And those are the ones that worry me the most when going to some of these places. Um, it's a feeding ground. It's a feeding ground for them because they can feed off of that. And then as word gets out that the place is negatively haunted and investigators come in, they can feed off of that fear as well. So it just makes them stronger. So I was lucky to have Michael keeping me protected. And we did our own things, too. We did uh, we did a meditation together for protection and okay. prayers. And everybody was carrying whatever they felt make, made them feel safe in their pockets. So we went in with open eyes. We knew there was something there and mm-hmm. we were cautious. We never provoke. I, I really oh. hate it when I see groups provoke. <laughs> yes, God. And we didn't really have any really negative experiences, but it was very intense. It was, it's a place, it's very hard to get into. And that's one of the reasons why I was insistent upon going because I tried to go last year and couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. And this year I had an open opportunity. One of my friends had booked a place. They literally, it goes up for, for booking January 1st. And by the end of the day, it's pretty much booked solid for yeah. the year. Yeah. So you have to be ready with your credit card. And exactly. I, I just got lucky this year. And I'm like, I'm not missing this opportunity. And I had friends flying in from Massachusetts where mm-hmm. I lived for 30 years to attend with me. So I'm not going to, you know, sit outside while everybody's having a good yeah, time. Yeah, it's like, I was uh-uh, going. that's not happening. No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, it was already planned. And I just, I said, I just have to be careful. And mm-hmm. I was, and we, we ended up okay. You know, there was, we had some interesting experiences, but I think that in some ways I need to experience some things that are slightly dark because I do write about it. Right. And I do write things that I that helps other people on how to deal with it. So if I'm constantly standing back, not experiencing these things, then I'm not going to be able to help other people in how they deal with it. Sure. Do you have any books now? Any new? I know you just released one. You, you Do you have any in the works now? I do. I'm working on, I'm actually working on two right now, back and forth. But the paranormal one that I'm working on is called When Ghosts Are Near. Okay. And I'm interviewing people and asking them two questions. How do you feel when a ghost is near? What kind of signs do you have? And then what is your most profound experience? Because sensitives and actually non-sensitives alike all feel ghosts differently. Some people might hear, hear them like I do. Other people, their scalp crawls. Uh, someone I just interviewed, she feels a pulling, like, there's, like her feet are magnetic. Mm-hmm. And it just goes so far across the range and I thought this could be a really interesting book because people who have been experiencing the paranormal may not realize that that's what they're experiencing yes can you imagine because yeah we're just as as just we're different and you know our sensitivities and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna like I tell everybody back in the good old days when you didn't have a million gadgets like they do now for ghost hunting this was the way I mean you know yeah yeah you had your camera and whatever but this was the way a lot of times when people would do any type of investigation and, or ghost hunt, this was how you knew it. Even the person that was not, let's say, a psychic, their bodies, their bodies would be the ones that right. would give them a heads up that something was coming close to them or they were going into an area that, that there was something paranormal occurring. 
And um, right. And I think sometimes that because of all the gadgets nowadays that they have all the FLIR cameras and this and that, and uh, you know, it, it, it gets a little bit dismissive about what the human body does, especially like what you said, when you learn what it means, like you just described when you have, when you hear those tones that already, you know, this is tied into a, a paranormal event or something, something or somebody's coming through that, you know, that it's, it's a very good barometer. I think sometimes I think even better than some of the gadgets, because sometimes you'll have electronics that will not capture anything. And somebody there will say, I know, or I feel, or I even see something that none of the electronics will pick up. So, Right. And, you know, like in New Harmony, we're dealing with 19th century ghosts. And they're a little bit afraid of a lot of our equipment. So yes. I tell people, you use your body to determine. Use your eyes. Look around. Watch. You don't have to catch it on camera to have, exactly. to have it be an experience or have it be real. And we use things like dowsing rods and pinwheels and pendulums, yes, uh, yes. more low, you know, low low tech devices, and they yes. seem to really have more of a reaction with that. So yes. we try with the electronics because it's a crowd pleaser. Everybody wants to see the lights go off in the case right. too, and yeah. we did have that happen the other night, but it's kind of rare. And but they will come to us in other ways if we're just paying attention. Yeah, I, I've. Like I told, I've used dowsing rods. They're a little bit time-consuming, you know, because, you know, you can only got to, you know, question the certain way because basically sometimes it's either or, or yes or no kind of, kind of, but it's very productive. If you know how to use the dowsing right. rods, it can be a really good instrument for communicating. But uh, anyway, Joni, I want to thank you so much for letting me interview you. It has been so super interesting as far as all your experiences because again, there's a lot of people like yourself that have an experience as a child and they shut down. They, in the contrary, they go in the opposite direction. They never want to have anything to do with the paranormal. And uh, despite your experiences, you've gone forward and you've become an author and you have ghost tours. And, uh, you know, for those people that sometimes they, they've had that one maybe negative experience and they shy away from it. Sometimes I think you're better off confronting it and overcoming it and dealing with it uh, instead of running from it then running from it because fear fear is not a good thing and let's face it contrary to what a lot of people think the disembodied spirits of people have passed on are all over the place so oh they're everywhere they're everywhere i wanted to also mention that sure. i do write a paranormal blog okay and people can find that on my website which is com, or they if they can't re- know how to spell my name hauntednewharmony.com will bring them there too okay Haunted. so they can read my blogs and learn about my books which my books are all on amazon.com okay and um, and you've got links so on your the, page right over to where you have the books i do perfect perfect and of course any of your new books, everything that's going to appear on your blog, on your website, as they come up. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Again, thank you so much, Joni. It has been absolutely wonderful. You have been a fantastic guest. And good luck on thank all you. of your new projects. Thank you. It was pleasure, my pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Isn't she a great guest? I'm not kidding, guys. You know what? Um, 
there's a lot of people out there and I've because I've spoken to them um, that have had as children you know some people have some experiences with the paranormal when they're kids but it's kind of like a little bit scary but not really maybe some footsteps or just stuff that makes them feel a little bit weird but not really truly frightening to the point of but when you listen to her description that she had as a child okay where she realized Claire audience this was like her heads up you know you know the spidey sense that something was going to manifest for her and she had that experience and um, then when she also moved in to a haunted house you know well, well the thing with her when she lived with her dad you know like he said here she comes back to that same house and that's also sometimes how you prove this was not a little kid's imagination many years ago here I am now uh, a teenager almost an adult and you're afraid of going up those stairs okay so and she still she went forward with it I'm sure she, she maybe she's had moments where she was like why did I do that but she has overcome it in other words my point is she has not let it dominate her life or wanting to do what she wants to do she like now as she described she went to Waverly Hills she took a lot of precautions she runs tours uh, for haunted locations where she lives at and she writes these books there's a lot of people that long before now would have said paranormal uh, no uh-uh and and don't get me wrong for some people if that's what you want to do that if you think that's the best option for you absolutely go for it you know that, that you know but what it comes down to is fear is something that will wear you down especially continuous fear especially if you have some type of sensitivity or, or you there's something about you that makes spirits want to contact you let me tell you something living in fear will wither you it will wilt your spirit um, and sometimes you have to confront it even if you don't want to work in it you have to confront it and put up boundaries and say no or whatever because like we were discussing you don't have to go to a haunted location a haunted house a haunted field a haunted uh you know whatever you know you have some of these uh for example uh, locations to experience ghosts they're all around us there are some yes that are tied to certain locations like where she lived at that it was the old owner and he was sounds like he was a nice guy <clears throat> Um, didn't like women, but he was kind of tied to his house. He just wanted to hang out at his place where he lived at for whatever reason. Okay. Not every discarnate does that. Some, some discarnates go to where they work. You know, maybe this is, they work workaholic or maybe their best moments in life were at work. This is what fulfilled them. Or, you know, I mean, it could be, but bottom line, there's a lot of people that, somewhere in a transition between dying and going off to where you're supposed to go after you die which is where you shed your ego and you shed your desire for a human body or needing a house like that owner of that house where you don't care that that was the house you built you don't care if that was the shop that you had or the workbench 
because your understanding where you're at transcends that. So you understand that was me, my human body, person, me. Uh, I was maybe proud of it, but I don't need that. That doesn't matter to me anymore. Okay, so there's some people that somewhere along that, in that transition, they lose their way or they get stuck. And I've talked about it before. It could be they're scared. They think of Judgment Day. Maybe they've been brought up with religious beliefs, even if it was something they heard when they were a kid. Some of them are very materialistic and they want to hold on to what they have. Yeah. Love, hatred, sometimes very strong emotions will bind you for whatever reason. But bottom line, some of these spirits or some people that die and don't realize they're dead, they're self-aware and they maybe in their mind, they didn't realize that you're still self-aware and they kind of are lost and they can't quite figure out what happened to them, maybe because it was sudden or they were unconscious or they were under the influence of some type of narcotic as in a drug and they transition and they kind of suspect it but they don't want to accept it or I mean God there's a whole host of and I'm going to give you a perfect example uh, there's a book uh, written a little bit after the turn of the century by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Carl Wicklund and he was a psychiatrist and part of his uh I was working eventually he moved out to California was his wife was a medium she would channel she would channel the spirits and uh, one of the things that he describes was where they had certain spirits he was a, which were suicidal and these persons in life had committed suicide had been successful but for some reason they didn't recognize the success so they were still trying to reenact it and what happened was that when they would attach themselves to a living human host, which, you know, I've talked about it on other shows, that hamster wheel mentality of I want to die, I want to die, I want to kill myself, they would make people that before never had suicidal ideations want to be suicidal. And in some cases, they were successful with it. These were cases where people would commit things or attempt suicide where everybody was totally like where did this come from this person's never been suicidal never talked about suicide and Dr. Wickland's theory which was pretty convincing when I read the book was that what they had was an attachment of somebody that was suicidal had been successful okay but never realized that they were dead they kept wanting to reenact and then when they attached that person this living human host would for lack of a better word because of that attachment start eventually trying to do be dictated emotionally by what that spirit was trying to accomplish and well you know through a uh, through his intercession and you know with his wife acting as medium because basically she would have that spirit she would channel that spirit that that discarnate that was and then he would talk to it and that's when the, it would talk about he would converse with this discarnate who would describe as an if for example the same thing you know um you know back then you know sometimes people would commit suicide by drinking carbolic acid or there was another one that had committed suicide by jumping out a window 
and the person that attached themselves to, I tried it a couple of times, hadn't been successful, and the whole family was like pulling their hair out because this woman had never been suicidal in her life, and all of a sudden, in a short period of time, um, she, had be, she had tried to jump out the window, and they couldn't explain. But anyway, and by the way, follow-up, according to him, was that once he conversed and basically sent these uh, attachments on their way, these people who had sometimes would have gone, were, were under psychiatric care for what was considered insane behavior, mental illness, everything went good. Everything was fine. But I'll do a show about that. That's a very interesting subject, by the way. Super, super interesting. As a matter of fact, one of the, <laughs> one of the first things that I was reading about, which was, was, um, He's describing that, you know, even though eventually he went into psychiatry, you know, that all doctors, all medical students, they they have the same basis, which is anatomy and dissection. And of course, remember, this was turn of century, and he described where his first encounter with a ghost, a spirit, was where he was in the dissection lab of the university he was studying at. And he was, you know, they would, you know, when they would have these bodies, you know, different students would work on the bodies, I guess, depending on what you were doing. And he had been working on the body of a woman. And I can't remember now if she had been a murder victim or suicide. I can't remember the circumstances of her death, but this lady, the spirit of this lady of the body that he was working on because of his classes, medical classes, all of a sudden started coming through. And that was... That was something else. It's a very interesting. Like I said, I'm going to do a show all about that. But anyway, guys, I hope you like the show. Make sure to check out Joni Mahan's uh, website, her blog. There you'll find links to her books, the ones that have been published, the ones that will come out. Also, you can also get information about as far as you want to book the tour uh, out of where she lives at. And uh, again, guys, my true believers, don't forget to send me your stories. Catch me Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you've got a story, just send it to me at Marlene at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. And guys, thank you so very much for being part of my audience again and sharing this time with me. You guys are wonderful. Take care.